Welcome to the Army of One podcast with me, Dougie Reed, and my guest today is my good friend, Ben Carter. Hello there, Ben. How are we? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. For those that are just tuning into this, uh, we've had a very hot start here. It's like take four. So (laughs) we're now composed. Uh, To give people a bit of background, uh, I've known Ben since about 2008. Yeah, if not before, slightly. Yeah, it could be slightly before. Uh, he, uh, Ben Carter is the drummer for the thrash metal band from Huddersfield, Evile, uh, who are amazing. So guys, be sure to check those uh, out when their new album drops next year uh, in March, April. April time, I think. April time, sure. so keep, yeah. keep uh, checking the interwebs. There is uh, many exciting things coming. So yeah, um, the sort of premise for this podcast is mental health, creativity, fitness, and all, you know. Mm-hmm. all manner of things in between so how would you say for example what's your sort of uh, go to say if you're having like a bit of a funk or you're having a bit of a, a bad day uh, what would your would you use music to escape would it be gaming would it be what would it be for you I think for me escapism has always come through gaming definitely um, it's a way of just turning your brain off something and focusing on something else for a little bit music can do that it is cathartic listening to music for me but Sometimes I end up analysing music rather than just listening to it. So it's it's like going to work when you don't need to, really. Sometimes it's music. There are yeah. go-to albums that have got me through some horrible periods as music is you know capable of doing that. But I don't necessarily go to music for head-clearing purposes, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect music, sense. Music's a safe space, really, for me, mentally. There's certain albums that you go to and you think, ooh, I'll, I'll, I'm in the mood for this now because I know it puts me in a certain mood. Yeah. Whereas there's other stuff that I can listen to where I end up just over-analyzing things and trying to apply that as a work ethic, if that makes any sense. True. Is it hard for you to disconnect, obviously, being the fact that it's what now, album five for you guys? Yeah. So because you've been in such a you know, a high-pressure uh, scenario in, in that you're recording it's what you've done for a, a career yeah does it does it affect how you listen to music all the time definitely yeah I mean uh, what I necessarily play and enjoy playing isn't what I necessarily go to to listen to to enjoy do you know what I mean yeah. like everyone thinks oh he's a thrash metal guy so he must just listen to thrash all the time no I, I don't think anyone can afford to be that blinkered with music but at the same time that's not that it doesn't excite me and entertain me it's just I end up listening to it for a different reason. I end, I end up using it as a, as a learning tool, and, you know, listening to other drummers. And so you can put it into your craft. So you can kind of steal little, not steal bits, but you yeah, you know what I mean. You, you, you learn from all those different sources, don't you? Whereas if I want to just chill out and listen to music, I wouldn't necessarily put on the genre of music that I play. So what would, what would your go-to be then? If, um, if, with, people may not, you know, necessarily assume this to... I'm, I'm unashamedly a massive heart fan. Everyone knows that. Oh yeah. Um, so the Wilson yeah. sisters. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm a massive fan of like strong female vocals. Always have been, and I don't think anyone does it better than Anne Wilson. Um, in terms of songwriting ability, I, I mean, I know they're not the, the the starters of the band by any means. The band was in existence before they joined, but certainly as a couple of people fronting a band, I, I don't think there's anyone better really, like vo- female vocal wise, musicianship wise. I think oh, they're I agree just, with as strong as they always have been. I'd say, like, for me in that sort of realm, Fleetwood. Yeah, exactly obviously right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Heart. And I probably... Female vocal... Do you know who I'm a massive fan of? And people yeah. are really surprised. Like, Eva Cassidy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I see that. Like yeah. Songbird and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. Uh, Over the Rainbow and all that. Yeah. She's just, like, there's a there's a certain vibe you get from a female singer that you don't from a male. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's, but yeah, everyone, um, I'm sure everybody knows that you wear your, you know, you fly your I, heart I, flag with pride. I literally pride do wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said about Fleetwood, like, same kind of thing over such a long career span. Um, they've always kind of stayed relevant in whatever decade they've been playing in and I, I, you know, I appreciate that in terms of bands I think bands that can change their formula up a little bit to stay relevant in everything else that's going on around them and still be as strong yeah I, I think that's fantastic um, Eagles are I mean, probably one of my favourite bands of all time and they've always just seemed timeless to me yeah some bands are Yeah, some bands definitely are they just work in any, any genre uh, any period of time really you know is it is there a, a, a reason why, or do you think it's just a perfect storm? I don't, I don't know. I think longevity these days is is a bit of a blessing, really. And there's there's that there's not many bands around today that w- that will have that longevity. Whether it's because they were they peaked in a different time or not, and they've made the money then, or um, they've been fortunate to be around the industry when it was a lot stronger and a lot more um, invested in. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't know what the word is to do, to describe it. I think that's a good that's a good point, especially now with the pandemic, I think, where the arts are suffering. I think yeah, yes, particularly with COVID going on. But I think music nowadays is a bit fickle. Mm-hmm. You know, people come and go within the industry far too quick. Do you think it's because everybody has access to record? Like me, I can record my own music and put it on Spotify. Do you think that's had an impact as well? I think it's the old adage that um, you you can go to a shop and buy a camera, but it doesn't make you a, a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the same. People have got so much access to record at home and put their stuff out there. It doesn't quantify and qualify them for having a long, a long career in music. You know, it doesn't quantify that longevity. Um, paying your dues and all that kind of stuff goes a long that. way. And I think these bands that kind of cut the teeth and became famous in like seventies and eighties, there were there were a lot. The industry just worked a lot differently then. So you had to earn your stripes. I suppose like I you guys, so. I think so. On the subject of longevity, because things were recorded a lot differently as well. Yeah, you, you know, analog era, people had to be really on the top of the game, and I think that shone through in the songwriting and delivery of everything. Really, that's a good point. Actually, I suppose now with Pro Tools or you know any sort of home software you can use, you can have a thousand takes and nobody ever knows. Exactly. You yeah. know. Yeah, I think so. Uh, well, they know. When you they see it on a stage and you can't replicate it live, yeah. that that's a key factor. Um, but going back to going back to like earlier bands and stuff like that, I I just think people were cut from a different cloth back then because they had to be. They they were just standouts. True. I mean, even um, I always say this about like pop music. If you go back to like the say fifties onwards, the likes of say Johnny Cash, mm. Elvis, go up to like Bill Withers. People like that that were amazing. The, the reason there was so many amazing artists then was because there was no um, auto tune to hide behind. There exactly. wasn't, you know, it was you were either great and you got the platform. It didn't matter your. I mean, it says a lot, especially in America, with their racial divisions. Yeah. Some of the biggest singers in in American music history are black. Yeah. Which is not the way that this is. A, this may sound controversial, but it is the truth. The way the American system is set up is for minorities not to thrive. It's a fact they never have. Yeah. But if they're if they're becoming their music was un- that undeniable that their race or anything couldn't hold them back. Exactly. That's how you know yeah. you were amazing. They were yeah. breaking racial divisions. Yeah. Um, oh, what's her name? Um, Fighting to make a mark. Or, yeah, and, and a name just has just abandoned me. Um, 
Her name was. It comes to me in a second. There was a singer, um, Nina Simone. Okay, yeah. And um, she was singing at a club that Marilyn Monroe was at. Mm-hmm. And basically, she was told all, all these you know white famous people were here now. You need to. You've had your moment. Go. And Marilyn Monroe basically stood up in front of everybody and said, "Look, I will get basically. Um, it'll be a boycott. We'll get everybody to leave if she's not allowed to sing. Yeah. She will sing. We'll enjoy it. She's equal. Yeah. And that's again the power of music, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely unifying. Certainly is. And that's what exactly what it should be, especially with metal. I think that you were you were saying about longevity. You guys haven't released an album since 2013. Yep. So by next year it'll be eight years. Yeah. And yet people are clamouring. Was it a million followers on uh, <clears throat> socials and I stuff think like that? A million listeners. On yeah. Spotify or something within a certain time frame. I don't really. A monthly, I think. Like I think that. it's a million a month, um, which is crazy, really, what? considering how long you haven't been active. Well, it just it's a direct correlation to what I said a bit ago, like about music being fickle and stuff moves on so quick. We're so fortunate that our fans have stayed really like true and loyal to us in our hiatus, you know, whatever you want to class it as sabbatical, I don't know what you want. The absence, yeah, just in the absence. Um and then I just I just hope that we we do their them proud with this new album. I really do. Because we worked hard on it. It, it, it kind of suits where we're up to at the minute. Um, obviously, we've had some lineup changes and things internally wrong with the band for a while. Um, we didn't know it at the time, but you just you, you work through it, don't you? But after seven years, we're not going to just abandon our fans and not do anything. We need, we've need we got this new album and we want it out there. So for those that don't know, um, do you want to enlighten them to what the lineup changes were? Yeah, I mean, we've, since 2013, we had... Uh, we had all Drake, our lead guitarist, left the band. Um, I think for a while he was a bit disillusioned with the music industry for a bit and wanted to do everyday stuff, you know. He would get to an age where he wanted to start a family and settle down a little bit, do a nine-to-five, actually earn some, some proper money and do things that an adult should be doing and have a proper life about things. And, you know, isn't that everyone wants when they get to a certain age? They want that security. So he, he kind of branched out, he recorded a solo album just purely to get stuff off his own chest, I guess. Um, we drafted in Piers from a band called Fallen Fate, so Piers played lead guitar for a little while. Everything was going good, and for whatever reason that didn't work out. Piers also had kind of work commitments and stuff going on outside the band, which he couldn't commit to, so um, we lost Piers, which then that breathing room had given all a bit of time to have a think and readdress stuff and I think you were in a better place then so he, he came back to the fold um, so, so yeah, yeah it was you back, all back to me all Matt and Joel um, and then a similar th- kind of thing happened with Matt unfortunately he, uh, he he kind of said look I've got I've got too much going on outside outside the band real life commitments that I just can't shy away from I, I need to be a dad first and foremost and he was having some trouble with his health so he needed to address that um, so he, he made the decision to step away from the band, which was, for me personally, that kind of, that, that hurt, you know, because we, we've all grown up together, but I never really saw past that kind of thing happening with Evil, you know, Matt was always our pet field. Um, people, people don't think that, um, well, I don't think that people perceive Matt as being, as, you know, a qualified frontman, you know, like in terms of. Well, I, th- I think in a way, sometimes, sometimes all's technical ability on guitar 
makes people focus on that a lot more than they focus on Matt's ability as a front man. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've always said in, in Matt and all that we've got a secret weapon that no one else has had, you know, like all's all's our secret weapon in one way in terms of lead stuff. But for however good all is on lead guitar, Matt was his equal in other ways, as in playing complex rhythm parts and having to sing really, really difficult vocal patterns and parts mm-hmm. over the top of that. There's not a right lot of people that can do that, which is why I say Matt is or was our Hetfield. And the vocal range as well. Vocal range, just pure vocal ability. And I think sometimes Matt were very depreciative of his own ability. You know, he kind of pulled the rug under his own feet a few times with stuff. And it's like, Matt, you, you, you're not aware of how good you are. Oh, dude. I've always you know? been in awe of him. Unbelievable. Um, he had this ability to, to change. He, he, he kind of like, he liked it really, being quiet and collected and a bit elusive off stage and then I always said it was like Clark Kent and Superman as soon as it was time to go on stage and do the business that's when he turned on you know he, that's when he became this super entity that it, it, you, you wouldn't think it just look at him if you saw him sat down earlier in the, in the day just, probably with you know, his head chilling out, glasses reading yeah, a book reading a book just having a cup of tea just chilling out watching a movie or you know um, and then just going on stage and becoming like 50 times bigger and larger, you know, it was like, wow, what a transformation. And I'll, I'll miss that. I really will. Um, Matt was Matt was a very, very good front man. Oh, brilliant. Uh, I've always, I think the, the four, um, obviously to harken slightly back to when I first met you, obviously Mike. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're all right, obviously we'll speak about that. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, um, when we first met, two thousand and eight. So it would have been just, I suppose, while you were recording Infected Nations, right? Yeah, I think it yeah. was. Yeah, uh, and obviously uh, Mike Alexander uh, was a founding member of the band. So if you want to speak a little more to that, yeah, of course. Well, the, the, everyone, I think, if if they're listening to this, they're obviously a fan of the band, so they know the history. But for anyone that doesn't know, we we started out as a Metallica tribute band. Um, just playing quite locally because it was it was all we wanted to play collectively when we were all at school together really um, all Matt and myself just jamming after school and college and whatever else you do and we got to a point where we got sick of playing Metallica covers so we decided to start writing our own tracks um, we we met Mike through an advertisement in a guitar shop which is like you know old school now you don't really do that anymore you know you, you don't strip really, off the yeah number. exactly that kind of thing and mike had been playing with some other musicians they didn't they didn't give him a fair crack of the whip really because he was a black guy into metal he, he i don't know whether he didn't get taken seriously or he just didn't get on with people because of that fact or people were a little bit judgmental or what but he, he instantly fell in with us straight away one rehearsal a couple of hours in and uh, never looked back really he was cement absolutely rock solid um, me and him hit it off, mutual interests and everything, and that's how it kind of started with me and Mike being best buddies. Um, but in terms of band dynamics, it was it was brilliant. The four of us bounced off each other, and we kind of wrote that first album all together, just jamming out in a sweaty little room. And uh, we were fortunate to get signed off the back of it, so that was great. Um, yeah, it, it was it was a good time back then really good time I mean we were we were kind of labelled as the forerunners of this new thrash revival in the UK which is it's never something we chased or went after but it kind of made us feel good in the fact that we were actually doing something people wanted 
And then as soon, as soon as we started going further afield and playing more gigs, we realised there were so many other bands around the time doing the same thing we were. So it was like a little hub, a little community. Um, but we always thought that because of Matt's ability on guitar and vocals and all's complete virtuosic ability on guitar, we always felt that we had the, the firmer kind of, I don't know what the word is, almost like a foundation, like mm-hmm. a little family. You know what I mean? That kind of felt a bit impenetrable in a way. We were so close knit, and um, we actually felt like there was some weight and some gravity to what we were doing. Yeah, and you had the ability to back it up. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, and that's that's testament to Matt's position in the band as much as it is Oz. You know, um, we wouldn't have been able to be that. I don't think if Matt didn't deliver how he did on stage. So yeah, I can see that. I suppose it's the the perfect storm of four people fulfilling their roles without ever stepping on each other's toes. Exactly. So you yeah. were locking down the low end in probably more of a an unsuspecting way. Yeah, but it did feel like it was a little bit stronger because Matt and all were brothers. Yeah. It, you know what I mean? And in every in every way to that, obviously me and Mike were pretty much like brothers anyway because he was like my bigger brother. He, he just did everything that a bigger brother should have done when I, you know, growing up and everything that I didn't have. I just had a big sis. But the way me and him bounced off each other was incredible and it was just, you know what I mean? I'll never have that again, now he's gone, but that's a, that's a story for another time. Um, but going back, to, going back to lineup changes and stuff like that, Matt leaving the band was equally as scary looking forward as it was when all quit the band the first time. It was such a massive void to fill. We, we honestly really didn't know what to do. So when, when all had the situation of potentially being frontman and he suggested it, it was like actually that makes that makes good sense, business sense, and sen- it'll make sense to the fans hopefully when they hear the new stuff. Yeah, because it's not bringing in an outsider. Yeah, it's not bringing in an outsider. It's not having to reteach somebody four albums worth of material. It's not making somebody deliver the songs the same way to sound like Matt. Everything's already there because Alls co-wrote everything and been there all through it everywhere from since day one as well. So. The delivery is going to be a little bit different and I think stress on all's part might be going through the roof a bit because he's not having only to play his solos, he's having to think about vocal parts all over, you know. And playing rhythm while singing. And- well, this is, this is a great thing now why we've got Adam Smith in the band. So we've known of Adam for a long, long time. He's been a fan of Evile since he was a kid and he's always at shows. And when he started fronting a band locally called Riptide, we went to Good see band. him a few times and absolutely incredible band. They're only young guys, but the the savage life, you know, they've got real purpose and real intent and musicianship's fantastic. And Adam's musicianship stands apart. He's he's young and tenacious and really direct in how he delivers things. You know, he's he's a great frontman in his own right. So he understands what to put in in terms of lead guitar. And when to leave that out, and he understands structure, and he understands songwriting, and things like that. And we were bandying around the ideas of who we'd like to replace Matt, and who could potentially replace Matt. And I had this freakish idea, like, what if Adam would be interested? And then the more we talked about it, and we thought, all coming over to vocals, and then Adam pulling up rhythm, it opens up so much more scope because he's a really great lead guitarist as well. So. The, the you know the bits where there's like twin guitar parts going on, him and all are going to be all over that. His rhythm playing's tight. It's aggressive. 
Um, so that gives all a bit of breathing room in terms of how busy he's going to be on guitar while he's singing. I think there's a lot of scope for it to work going forwards, and certainly with the new material, it suits it suits both of them. So to to that end, then as you said, he's also amazing live, which yeah. ties into it. It's like an extra yeah, you know, um, an extra arm to what you're doing. How would you uh, to speak of the new stuff? How would you describe it? And also now that Oz taken over vocally, um, being a, you know a, a different sound, is it similar to Matt? How would you describe it? I think it's a little bit more visceral. Matt's style of vocals always suited us because the material we were writing was was written around his vocal range and his his natural vocal ability. Matt's got such a massive, massive vocal range and he's got an ability to go from delivering really harsh, visceral, thrashy kind of vocals to being really melodic and clean. And I think it's the clean stuff that a lot of thrash vocalists struggle with. They can't change down gears vocally. Matt could. Um, and if you listen to stuff like In Memoriam or Tomb or other songs like that, it's, it's quite obvious that Matt's listened to old school proper singers, you know, like Freddie Mercury and mm-hmm. people like that. Massive influences to Matt. And, and that came over. That came over in the harmonies he was writing. It came over in delivery. It certainly came over live because sometimes Matt would go for a note and he wouldn't even need a microphone. It, the power and presence in his voice would just be there. He'd probably say that it wasn't and it wouldn't, go, wouldn't be good enough. But like it goes back to the thing that I don't think Matt really knew how good he was. Um, so all really has to readdress that in a way of making the songs his own, but still making them identifiable, identifiable with the fans because they've heard it so much Matt's way for so long. Mm-hmm. Now all's going to be delivering it. It might be a little bit weird and a bit out of place, but still undeniably us and still undeniably evil. The new stuff is a lot more visceral and a lot more aggressive, so that brings out Alls vocal style a lot more it is a little bit more to the point more immediate more more aggressive so if you were to hearken so hearken back to Matt again uh, vocally so if you had to compare Matt to a vocalist it would be I'd say it'd be a, a cross between Freddie Mercury and James Hetfield and then if you were to and now Owls would be um, I'd probably say a mix between Matt and Max Cavallero <laughs> it, it, it it, it's 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 really hard to not not go down the route of all's one of all's favorite albums is beneath, is like, uh, beneath the remains right beneath the remains and roots and um, I think I think Max's delivery has played a massive part on how all chooses to sing but at the same time working with Chris Clancy in the studio who's a vocal coach Chris helped all find his own natural voice so he didn't burn his voice out quick and. You know, all's using the right way to sing, not the wrong way to sing, and I think all's natural voice is somewhere in that scope anyway. Yeah. In in, in the early days of Evile, Matt got Matt got labelled with the stick of like being halfway between um, Hetfield and um, uh, Tom Araya, and I think that was his natural voice. That's where it lies. That's the ground. Bad place to be. That's not a bad place to be. In. And I think all's is very similar. He he, he obviously it's Matt's brother, so he sounds like Matt anyway. Because that's a, a, a Drake family trait, shall we say, in the vocal department. Yeah, the, the enunciation. Yeah. yeah, I think I think so. And then his 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 gravel leans more towards Max Cavalera kind of gravel than it does Hetfieldy throaty stuff. That's awesome. But so, it suits the material. It suits the material so well. 
So this new album, uh, we'll call it Evar Five. Yep, Evar Five. For it, now. Shall, it shall be revealed at a at a later date. I, along with everybody else, I'm chomping at the bit to find out what that is. <laughs> uh, where would you say in the in the spectrum? So Enter the Grave was first, then Infected Nations, then Five Serpents Teeth, then Skull, then Five. Then, yep, then Five. Where would you say uh, would you say it's a natural predecessor to a certain album? Is it a successor to a certain? Album? Do you feel it sits in the discography somewhere musically that? Instead of it being five, is it more like three? I think, in, in terms of the, the chronology of Evil, I think we jumped ahead to album three or four on, on album two. So Infected Nation for us was like something we should have written further down the line. It was a bit more progressive, um, a bit more complicated, a bit more complex. And to an extent, it didn't have the speed and the aggression that Enter the Grave had. And very claustrophobic and yeah, intense just, wasn't it yeah just a bit dark and a bit bit sinister um, some of the songs went on a bit and dragged others ones were a bit overly complicated for a second album I think um, so we never really did a logical successor to Enter the Grave and I think that's where this album is I think it's the album we should have written a while back kept the energy and the tempos up and the aggression and the speed and we've in terms of song subject matter, we've kind of regressed a little bit, and whether that's a con- well, whether it's a consequence of Matt not being in the band and writing lyrics anymore, I don't know. Matt was a very deep thinker, and he liked things being a little bit hidden vocally in terms of what's this song about. Why yeah, more is ambiguous. Yeah, leaving it all to people's own interpretation, really, rather than being delivered on a plate. Um, not saying that this time around that's the case but I think it's a little bit more direct and a little bit more obvious what the subject matters of certain songs are and it's in the song title as well which I'm not going to tell you <laughs> oh, there we go <laughs> but the album as a whole is it's more intense there's more speed um, it's like getting punched in the face I think it's it's that kind of an album people people were like oh Eval, yeah thrash band yeah but they've, they've done ballads and you know, what the hell's cult all about? It's like too chuggy and there's a load of chuggy, slow, mid-pace stuff and whatever. It's like, right, okay, you want thrash, have some thrash. Yeah, so, so we've, we've kind of regressed to that, like, you want thrash? Okay. Yeah, the the new album is called If You Want Thrash, You Get Thrash. <laughs> it might as well be. Yeah, I like um, that. So uh, tempo-wise, obviously there's a, a lot of, would you say it's the fastest stuff you've done or up yeah, there I in would. that? I would, definitely. Yeah. If not faster, there's, there's, there's songs on the album that when I when I was doing the demos with all and listening to the stuff, I I was questioning whether I'd be able to play. I was like, oh crap, oh no, but no, you just you just deal with it, you just get on with it and, and find it. I mean, COVID hasn't helped for for drummers. It's been really really difficult. I, I can imagine for a lot of drummers, um, personally speaking, um, all my gear went into storage during first lockdown. Um, and I didn't see it again till probably two weeks before we went into the studio. Um, prior to that, I, it's not common knowledge, but I absolutely ruined my right hand last November. I broke it in five places. So I had some surgery on that and it's done its healing and it's still not massively functional. So that combined with um, having no access to a drum kit on any level, not even picking a pair of sticks up really, I've literally done nothing all over the first lockdown till about September when we were ready for going in the album, uh, in the studio to do the album, sorry. 
Um, that was a challenge in itself. I had to really get my working head on and get to grips with drums all over again. Did, do you think that helped you though? Having I, your back I do, I do, because I think, I think the material was still really enjoyable to play and fresh in my mind. And I was ag- aggressive and angry enough because I wanted to play. I've been missing it so much. We had a show booked for um, Manchester. It was supposed to be our reunion show with, um, you know, doing the new album and we were sc- supposed to do Enter the Grave in Fall and all this kind of stuff. Still and got my tickets on the fridge. Still got your tickets on the fridge, there you go. And because of COVID, it's been shut down and moved and all kinds of stuff going on with it. And obviously with Matt leaving the band and whatever else, we had that to contend with. Um, so the frustration of not being able to play has just been building and building and building and it's done me no good at all I'm like a caged animal when I can't play I just I climb the walls and I go insane um, so finally getting my kit and being able to go and rehearse the tracks ready for studio and actually just be part of being involved in a drum kit again for me was like a breath of fresh air it was, it was like a kid on Christmas day oh my word yeah it was something else so I think that carried over to the studio. I was that up for it. And we were all up for it in our own different ways because we've all been frustrated in different ways for so long about everything. So that was the culmination of everything. And I think you can hear it on the album. You can hear the intent and the the level of how much we mean it this time around. You know. Well, that video you put up, um, was it Instagram and Facebook? Oh, yeah. The tracks, but yeah. it's without the guitars, but it's yeah. you playing. yeah. Fucking hell! Like I've, I've I've known you for what nearly thirteen years. I've seen you guys play sixty, seventy times. Yeah. I have never seen you or heard on record you hit drums that hard. I think how how you didn't break the skins. I, well, I think I think I've been missing playing that way. I really have. Um, I've been missing playing with purpose and intent, and always going into a new album cycle. You're always up for it because the material's still new, and it's that new album syndrome. It's like having a new console at Christmas. So it's like, oh my god, I can't wait to put the time into this. I had that all over again and for a, for a period I think I fell out of love with drumming and it's 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 quite easy to do because all over Facebook and all over social media you get people doing podcasts as we're doing now and you get people doing Twitch streams and I've never been a clinician, I've never been a student of drums, I just play drums. So it can be quite demoralising and mm-hmm. a bit daunting seeing all these other guys all over social media when you haven't got the scope to do that yourself. And it kind of puts you in a box where you can only be who you are for the band you're playing with when you're doing a gig. Yeah, and if you haven't got that. Yeah, and when you don't have that, you you suffocated by it. You you know what I mean? I'm, I know I'm never going to be the best drummer in the world. I know I'm not fully laden with technique like a lot of these other guys are. And for me, I'd feel a bit uncomfortable doing videos on social media and Twitch streams and stuff like that because... I don't think I'm that kind of a player. I never have been. I never want to be. My purpose and my time to shine is when I'm on a stage with the band I'm playing with. And I think that's when I come into my own. Well, I think, I mean, that's definitely um, something I've said to you from day one is you are, exa- like you take, if you take yourself out of Evo, mm. it's a totally different man. Yeah, I think so. I, 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 I absolutely, I mean, I have the, the benefit of being like, I was it I say I'm like the inside outsider. I've yeah. known you all for years. Yeah. But I can also, you know, I've loved every album you've made, you know, and and no, thank you. I mean, it's it's a it's it's great. I think to be surrounded by people that you look up to and respect, and get you know get a kick out of what they're doing for yourself. Because obviously, I'm 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 giddy anyway because one of my best mates is making a new album. The boys are back. It's like awesome. Let's go. 
It's heavy as fuck. Yeah. And on the flip side, selfishly, I get an Uyval album. Yeah. So yeah. the boy, you know what I mean? You come back and let's be honest, in my opinion, it's Reclaim Your Throne. You were the originators of the new wave and how many other bands have spawned in that time. Fair play to them, but have kind of somewhat replicated or followed followed the path you, you trod first. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, well, we, you want thrash. Okay, well, we're going to give you the heaviest thing we could possibly write. I think that's... Have it. I think that's another part of the frustration. When you, you, you're going through all these like weird emotions within a band and everyone's having to do the day job to make ends meet and the, you know they can't commit to the thing that they've loved doing for so long and done four albums and then all of a sudden you get to a point and it's like stuff starts slowing down and you don't know what to do and me personally I've, I've said I only ever want to play drums I, I'm, I, I don't see myself doing anything else and I don't want to do anything else I wake up in the morning and I don't revel life unless I'm in a van traveling around doing gigs I, I feel uncomfortable in any other environment I don't commit to that the same way as I as I, I do in my head and my heart with a band you know what yeah. I mean so being in that little box being caged not being able to have an outlet for it for me is so frustrating but I think at the same time the frustration comes seeing other bands being able to do gigs and festivals and things like that and know that we haven't got a product to sell yet so and then all, the, all these bands that you know historically have supported us over the years and opened for us, going on to do big festivals and everything has been absolutely amazing to see, because they're getting on like we want to get on, but it's frustrating when you can't do a gig, and I, yeah. I, I'm imagining like musicians in terms of mental health around these lockdowns has been absolutely crazy because everyone I, I can't be the only person feeling this I can't be the only person thinking this way, but the only problem that adds to this, what's going on at the minute for me is that lockdown and that hiatus that everyone else is in now because of COVID we've had for the past kind of seven years. So our lockdown has been a little bit longer in some ways. And especially when you're sitting on the album. Yeah. Now we're sat on the album and it's done and it's recorded. And we as a band know how strong it is. We're in that kind of waiting period for the label to say, right, it's out of this time and we can make plans for that. But with COVID going on, even that's uncertain now because you know, the sooner gigs come back and festivals come back, the better for everyone. I think. Oh, I agree. I mean, to to the to the point of mental health. Obviously, I'm a musician on a much, you know, less. Uh, I'm more of a, well, a bedroom musician these days. But even working on my music, I've got a new album coming out. Well, it's meant to be this year. It's now going to be uh, early next year. But the the weird thing is having all this time to work on it. Sometimes when you don't have like for example, some of the songs I wrote in Norway, some I wrote in Canada, so and it's the the, the wealth of experience and the the things you see, the people you experience, yeah. the people you engage with, add to the process. Yeah. And I think when you have all this time to to work on it, I'm sort of like, mm, yeah, but I like it when I've got things to do, and then at the end of the day, I've got those three or four hours I can't wait to work on my music. Yeah. Whereas when you've got 24 hours to do it, yeah. it's like. Oh, what's my what's my what's my incentive? It does, doesn't it? And yeah, it's that thing where you have too way. many too many options make a martyr of all of us. Yeah. Because then you don't do what you're supposed to do. Whereas I think the big difference between like you and I is I thought for years, you know, I, for years, what 10, 12 years, I was in a thrash band, as you know, you know, gigged a lot and stuff like well, all over Europe, and I thought I wanted it. That was all I could think about. And then I got to a point where I realised I just don't want it enough. And I then diverted more to the what you were saying to the end of like what Matt's doing now, the family life, the yeah. regular life. Yeah. And it's people like yourself, 
that I always compared myself to and went, no, no, these are road dogs. These are all, to, to, to quote, you know, the boys, the road warriors. Yeah. Oh, what a yeah. rush. Yeah. Yep. But like get your you, pads out. absolutely get going. Uh, we'd make a hell of a tag team. That's, <laughs> do you know what? We've got to do that for for one year for, for one uh, Halloween. Yeah, I reckon we should. Hawk an animal, absolutely. If you want to see that, do let us know in the comments. Um, <laughs> but like you're the, the the sort of epitome of uh, a lifer, someone that you look at and you go, they're they're destined. Like you guys deserve the the uh, accolades you've received, the, the the fact that the fans have stuck around for seven years, and the fact you're on album five. You deserve that because you've like the bands in the 60s and 70s, yeah. you you absolutely cut your teeth in you. You put the time in, in vans and all there's that. Nothing, there's nothing that says we're any more deserving of it than any other band. That's that's something I will say. We're just we're just happy to still be around after what we've been through and you know a couple of lineup changes and here, there, and obviously losing Mike and everything else. We, I've always said it, and I'll, I'll say it this time, I'll say it in every interview, when, when people say, like, you know, you deserve it, I don't think we're any more deserving than any other band we've ever played with or saying our work ethic is any different. But I do think that gigging and doing it is a privilege and not a right. And it's when you start Fair. thinking of it as a right that you're doing it the wrong way. You know, it, it is a privilege to go out and make music for people. It's a privilege to get on a stage and, and entertain people in that way. So I think COVID has, in one way, it's stifled the scene and it's stifled gigs and live music but when it comes back I think it's going to make people have a complete whole new appreciation of it in a different different way totally and I also think it's going to flush out a lot of the people that aren't committed to it yeah possibly you know? yeah. because I think for you guys I think I think your story everything that has happened the, the triumph and the tragedy if you will mm. like has made I think that's why you have such a low fan base because you are like the the, the neighbourhood metal band like meeting you guys you're the same people like you're just you you live breathe, eat, yeah. sleep it. And obviously you've got an inbuilt story of, you know, of the the heartache you've been through, the struggles and the fact that you never give up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we were we were on we were so we were on uh, we were on the front cover of Terrorizer magazine. We had a feature when we were out in the States touring. We were on in in States for about three months and then before that we were in the States for a couple of months and in Canada for a couple of months. And uh, Metal Hammer came out and they did a feature and a photo shoot and all that kind of stuff and we ended up being on the cover and uh, I'll never forget they, they put this big sound bite on the front in big letters saying Evile we're invincible and I remember I remember the conversation that happened no. because that was a that was a direct quote out of my mouth and I never I never actually said we're invincible as in oh my god we're so amazing we're invincible yeah never said it in that way at all i, I want to kind of clear up a, a misconception about that <laughs> so how was it we said? were we were in conversation and um i think i think i said um over the years we've had that much shit to deal with um you have to let you have to just get on with it and sometimes you have to feel like you're a little bit invincible uh which is not what was quoted at all well whether it was a, a shortening of the of the the conversation or what or whether they made it just like a nice little user soundbite it made it out like we are untouchable yeah you you yeah or like we we have that conception of ourselves that we're better than we're godlike yeah we're, yeah and i yeah i've always rude that because I, I never meant it in that way i meant it in the fact that you, sometimes life throws a load of shit at you and you persevere and you come out of it 
and sometimes you have to feel like you're a little bit invincible otherwise you don't get through it you've got to put a stern head on and just get cracked forward and just go you know what we're going to come out of this and we'll either be better for it or we'll be a little bit scarred from it but either way we're coming out of it yeah you're still moving forward and I think that's the same way with the whole Covid situation at the minute you know we will come out of it at some point you've just got to weather the storm and in a way in a way I think we're good at weathering storms as a band well do you think a lot of it may have to do with so yes we're invincible yes invincible <laughs> we are invincible would you say it has uh, something to do with where you're from as well a more northern so. you know kind of I feel like the, the more further north you go it's you know it's a bit more of a, a hearty people no disrespect to the southerners but you know I prefer the north I think so and I think I think it shows grit and determination really the fact that you know, we over the years we've done some amazing tours with some massive, massive bands and stuff that you know we were really green and didn't have a clue really. So going on tour with Megadeth were a perfect example. You go out on tour with a band like Megadeth and they're turning up every day with you know 150, 200 crew, full catering truck with chefs and you know you've got an option of three different meals a day and all this kind of stuff. We we were just kind of turning up, four of us setting our own gear up, getting in the van, you know, driving. And that kind of level, you'd expect to be, you know, having a couple of crew or with you at least, or, you know, we had we had Tom, our merch guy, who was Tom from Mutant, who we yeah. used to tour with. Good band. And uh, our driver, Baz, at the time. And we were sleeping in a, a six-berth converted Mercedes Sprinter or something, whatever it was, and going out with one of the biggest bands in, in the world. And what year was that? 2007 I think so that would be on Into the Grave yeah, was it Gigantor right? yeah Gigantor I remember seeing you when you played at Birmingham just before we met and you absolutely I remember the, the vibe around then because obviously there was, a, there was a big thrash um, I was in a thrash band called Rain of Fear and you were our kind of you were our Metallica do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. in truth it was the fucking hell these guys they look what they're doing Yeah. you know and we'd obviously grown up um, kind of you know three or four years of really you know, plugging away and sort of nobody Thrash wasn't really a big thing. If you, well, you'll know better than anyone. In that early two, what, two thousand three, four. Yeah. Thrash wasn't the no, thing. No, no, it was all like hardcore crossover. Yeah, stuff. new metal was yeah, sort of on the still... on its back end. Yeah, yeah. So for you guys to be that resurgence, and we were like, wow, they they they've literally just lit the lit the world up and gone like this is yeah. this is what we're we're doing, and to see you on that stage, and you were you know, I mean it was you, job for a cowboy, yeah, uh, Megadeth, and that's it. Was it just three? And I yeah, always remember it was, yeah. you absolutely wiped the floor of the job well, of Cowboy we, and I thought how... I've, always, I've always thought we're capable of that in terms of holding our own next to these ridiculously massive bands but like you just said you, you, we're from you know working class guys from Huddersfield we don't really have a penny to rub together we've just been fortunate that our parents over the years have invested that much time and effort into supporting our craft that we want to do um, and let us get on with it really without that kind of support we wouldn't have been able to do it but the same thing they understood what we wanted as musicians but we never we never really had that same kind of level of um, production that these massive bands have we were just literally four guys throwing their equipment on stage and just getting literally a homemade backdrop we were we went through a time where we were actually selling hand painted T shirts with the logo on that Matt painted at his house on his kitchen table with a little tiny brush, just so we could have some income coming in from the band at one point. 
and I'm sure other bands have done homemade stuff and self-released and all that kind of stuff but when you scale it up and you get on such a massive massive tour as that when you're still doing that kind of shit it, it, it's like wow we have come a long way we have actually done this pretty much DIY all ourselves um, so this time around with an al- this album coming out this album 5 um, we're signed to a different label um, we've got a whole new vibe in the band it's all sounding a little bit more aggressive and we're really happy with the end product so now it's just a case of what do we do with it next and I'd like to I'd like to hope that we can scale up production a little bit and deliver it in a different way to the fans and maybe now start investing in making it look as good on stage as we know it we can I'd love to see I'd love to see Evil on a big stage with the same level of production of a band as big as like Slayer or you know Machine Head or Metallica to a certain extent yeah big pyros and you know screens awesome screens going on and things like that because I think it would suit the song so well I think in terms of production values, we've got songs that merit that. Well, we are about to die. We're about to die and things like that. And the leaning. But then, but then again, we know if if a you know one of our gigs got moved to a small pub of fifty people, we'd still have the same end result. It'd still be us scaled back with our yeah. equipment, just our you know our amps and our drum kit, and we'd be able to put on a similar kind of show. I suppose for you guys, you've you've mastered the fact that. If you take all the smoke and mirrors away, as we were, uh, as you alluded to earlier, these people that put their music on Spotify have a thousand takes. As soon as they play live, you'd, you'd know yeah. that they couldn't cut it. Yeah. Whereas you guys, because you've mastered the pub and small venue scene, mm. so you can skip. Was it like Matt's voice? You can you can go down a gear, you can go up a gear. Same yeah. with you guys. You can always become larger. Yeah. Or if you need to, strip it back. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of bands that are around that can do such massive tours scaled back that far and still keep their head above water so that's what I'm proud of I know that you know in hell or high water give us the bare minimum to do our, our shit and we can still deliver yeah. a, and keep our heads afloat really in, in, a, in a massive massive sea of sharks well you remember on um, was it Bloodstock was it 6 or 7 that you got signed off the back of the was it after after the main think, stage yeah no we played we played the second stage or the little little third tent stage I can't remember it was it was the smallest one whatever that was I remember seeing you at that, that year and then years later I think it was yeah. 2012 or 13 when you played the main stage 2012 yeah so the Dude, story of that is stomped the shit out of that the story of that is we were supposed to be midway through the second stage lineup for um, Five Serpents Teeth tour that Bloodstock at Derby was was like the big festival that that year for us and direct result of that was um dayside i think for whatever reason couldn't play and they were they were supposed to play it on the main stage they were fifth from headliner i believe on the main stage that year so we got a thing saying do you want their slot or you are having their slot so instantly we were oh crap main stage at bloodstock you know we we'd done it before we'd opened uh, i think a saturday morning and it was amazing a few years before we'd opened the main stage and it was incredible playing that to that many people but then being so high up on the bill it was great we like fifth from headliner alice cooper that year was headlining um but we had the pleasure and the misfortune of going on between nile and black dahlia murder <laughs> so oh dear for me personally i was shitting myself because both those guys from both of those bands, drummer wise. Was it Niall? Uh, was it not? Wasn't Coleus? Was it then? Or was it? 
George Clarius, yeah. George Clarius, yeah. And, oh, um, so it was George oh. and it was, um, oh, who was playing for Black Dahl? He murdered that year. Um, I can't remember, but I just know he's terrifying with his feet and his speed and precision. And George so Clarius on his own is bad so enough. I'm setting up my kit backstage and getting it on the rolling riser and everything. And I, I can barely tie up wing nuts and stuff like that on my kit because my hands are shaking that bad. I was so so. Wow. So how much? Quick one. How much uh, um, lead up time did you know? When did you get told that you were going to be taking that slot? I think it was earlier that day. Oh no wonder you. Were I think so. Yeah. Do you think it made it worse that you had less time? Do you think you'd have overthought it if you'd had more time? I'd have overthought it regardless. Yeah. Months before I'd have overthought it. I'd have been I'd have been trying to do everything I could to like rationalise it all for myself and go, "You'll be fine. You'll be fine." You know, keep talking yourself up. You'll be all right. At that time of the day, as well, I remember being yeah, there. Yeah, full just capacity crowd. Full capacity crowd. Obviously, everyone wanted to see Black Dyer and Nile anyway, just because it's absolutely amazing, incredible bands live. You know, so so the being sandwiched between the two was for me terrifying because these guys who were legitimate superhero drummers, you know. Like world renowned as being amazing, and there's a little one went, of them. Tipple, 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 shit, you know. Yeah, thrash like, fits. I was just like, oh my god, no! But it ended up being one of the best gigs we've ever done. We were we were fortunate to have Russ Russell there, and he engineered it live. Yeah, in front of house, yeah. And he, he'd done like past couple of albums at that point, and he knew the sound, he knew what we wanted, and I think he was relishing in the idea of doing that sound for us live. He did it once before at, at Download when we played Download in 2011. So. He knew, he knew what he was doing. He knows what he's doing anyway in a live environment. But for me, that was one of the best gigs we've ever done because production on stage was great. Production out front was great. And we held the crowd, you know. We, we held that slot. Yeah, you did. It, awesome. For us, it kind of defined that thing where we kind of went in our heads, you know what? Yeah, this is this is proper. This is what we want. This we deserve is, to be here. This, it, it, just, it just it made sense. It made sense and it, it didn't feel out of place. All that, all that panic and all that worry beforehand. As soon as you step on that stage, and it felt like home. You know, it felt. It technically is our home. We played it that many times at Bloodstock, but in that environment and that kind of high upper bill, we reveled in it. We we took it by, you know, took it by the horns, so to speak, and just went with it. I remember being in the crowd for that. I remember looking behind, and I could tell because obviously, when you are kind of a Bloodstockite and you're there enough times, you just obviously metal edge we know our shit don't we we know who produced yeah. what album and all that yeah. I looked over I sort of looked behind me and you know to front of the house and I see this Merlin-esque short figure behind the desk and I'm like sure that's Russ Russell yeah. and you hadn't told me and I was like oh it's going to sound unreal and it was such a good gig because I recall you know when something's good when you forget like when I'm watching you guys play I forget that you're my mates yeah yeah that's yeah. where you go wow you're like, <laughs> you're like oh my god you're like totally engrossed in the show instead of going oh what's my oh Ben's playing really well and yeah. Arlen and Matt and Joel it was just you were so strong and it was just such a a proud moment I think for everybody that's an Evil fan and has been from day one yeah. you go they're our boys like that's I think that's it that's how we feel it's like yeah. that's our boys up there I think, well, I think they're, they're representing night, all of us I think that night I had 45 minutes sleep um, I was staying in a and b like little mini hotel thing down the road from Bloodstock. I've and, stayed there. And uh, yeah, I think I had about 45 minutes sleep that night before we played. So I wasn't even... Well rested. I wasn't well rested and I wasn't particularly with it most of the day. But you, you know, you find it from somewhere when you're actually doing the gig. But I've, I've seen the footage of that show and I love it. I love how it, I love how the band looks on a bigger stage. Yeah. Um, which is where that whole thing of I wish we had a bit more of a stage show to go with it. 
But that, that same thing applies again. We were still just four guys with our equipment on a massive stage. Yeah. You know, we, we, I think we pulled it out of the bag. And I've, I've heard the recordings of it and it sounds incredible from a recording. I'd love to hear what we sound like from a fan's perspective because yeah. I, I can imagine it sounds pretty beefy. Oh, dude, it, was, it was sick. I, I always, there was then and there was, um, was it Download? Was it Download? I'm sure it was Download. You played Download on the Serpents tour, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the tent. Yeah, in the yeah, tent. Yeah, I was yeah. there and I distinctly yeah. remember because, like I said, obviously being a fan and your friend, any festival you're at, any show, I'm always there. Yeah. I've never seen you there and I remember you played, I'm sure it was the first time you'd ever played Cult. I think it was, yeah. I'm first sure it was. of Cult. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was. This is how much I vividly remember this because the first time I heard it, I was one of those that went, oh, I don't know. I was like, and then it became such an earworm. I was like, this is this is genius. The yeah. way, like the, the, the hook. And I just distinctly remember Matt was playing, I think he either just started or he had this new. Jackson Silver V. Yeah, that's right. With a gunmetal V. Yeah, yeah gunmetal V. This is how distinct this memory is in my mind, right? <laughs> how ridiculous is this? This was how many years ago? Yeah. Uh, ten. Yeah, it will be ten. Right, and I remember this like it was going out of fashion. There's me and a load of my mates and we're all there watching. And the second I started the riff, I was just like, fucking hell, beef is the word I would use. Just yeah. massive. <clears throat> and again, it wasn't a massive stage, but the tent was packed. And you held, you, you have this ability to hold people in, in just in the palm of your hand like that. And it's four people regardless of what size stage you're on. And I remember that was just so heavy and tight and beefy. Yeah. And then when you apply that some years later to uh, Bloodstock, I remember just going, wow. And like I say, it was like, they're our boys, man. It's like you represent, because you're such working class guys. It feels like, I think that's probably why everyone's so loyal as well. Yeah, the music's I, great, like but you're so. there. You're like us. You're living, we're like vicariously living through you. Uh, well, Does that make sense? A, yeah, of course. It's, it's a really kind thing to say. Um, but that we... We just do it, you know, we just get on with it. And I'd love to be on another massive tour sometime soon so we can get on with it and do it again. Um, it, we, we're missing it. Yeah. And I'd, 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 I'd hope that we're missed. Oh, you do are. Do you know what I mean? Because we, we, we don't do it to satisfy any kind of egotistical thing we've got. We, we do it because, for me personally, it's all I know how to do. Yeah. It's all I want to do. And as long as people want to hear Eval music... I'm in, I'm in a job, you know. Yeah. As soon as it starts getting tedious for people and they go off, I wish they just fuck off and stop now. We've had, we've had enough. That that break my heart, you know. I, I want to be able to do this live in front of people till the day I drop. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it before, like last week when you were having a brew. If ever I'm at a point where I don't feel like I'm dead when I come off stage, when I've finished a set, I ain't doing my job properly. And... That's how I always want to feel. That that for me is me feeling alive. If I don't have that, I don't have it in any other way, you know. Yeah. I can do pub gigs with local bands and I can stand in with other musicians and jam and whatever else because, you know, I've, I've played so many different styles of music over the years, I'd like to think that I can, you know, pick and choose what kind of band I want to play with. Mm -hmm. um, whether it be like, you know, your 50s rock and roll stuff like I've played with my dad all my life, um, funk bands, jazz bands, you know, hair metal bands, anything, classic rock bands, I can step in and do that kind of thing. But for me, my heart and my head will always be invested in Evile. That's all I've wanted to do since. It's your home. Well, there's too many memories and too much, too much effort and heartbreak being involved for it to just kind of disappear and fizzle out, which is why when Matt said he was thinking of quitting and then did quit and said it were unsustainable for him anymore, 
we all started thinking the same. Is it is it sustainable at all? You know, what are we going to do? We've lost our front man. Yeah, and then for the first time in, what, you know, 20 years almost. It were, it were yeah. We, losing Mike gave us purpose to carry on. Do you know what I mean? Because it was keeping his legacy going. Mm-hmm. When all quit and we had to replace him with peers, it was like, we, we've got the song still. The only thing that's going to be different is we don't... We don't have that secret weapon. Yeah, losing your front man is a whole new entity, but that's Matt's personal decision. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the same same way as keeping Mike's memory alive through the band, mm-hmm. we've got to keep Matt's legacy going as well. Because me and Matt and all since school have had this thing that we're all going to be musicians. You know, <laughs> life gets in the way, and I get that. But there's no way in hell that I'm just going to turn around and go right. There's not. There's not an evil anymore. And I think Matt wouldn't want that either. Matt wouldn't want that. I, I wouldn't think. Matt knows that. Matt knows that there's something special about this band, and uh, we've got to keep it going. You know, his personal circumstances aside, I'm pretty sure deep down he, you know, he wouldn't have quit and he wouldn't have made that decision lightly. So, oh no, not at all. So I mean, respect, you know, to, to Matt for making that decision because that must have that must have sucked. But you know, real life and having a family, he, he couldn't commit to the hour and a half on stage and the time away when you know when his personal circumstances dictate he needs to be somewhere else. And you, yeah, and that that becomes. I mean, you you can't really say um, fairer than that. I mean, no, you can't. I was I was I was saying to you last week about how I feel like at least the way I was the way I think about like being a man I think it's like evolution so you as you get to a certain age or a certain stage in your life you have, you have different wants different needs different um, sort of uh, facets of your life that need fulfilment yeah, in order to be happy well, and for me it? as I evolve I've realised that being a father and being a husband is something that I yearn for like it's, it's like that thing that I realised I was kind of born to do I was yeah, like okay. you know whereas yeah. and I and some people don't have that so obviously for example yours is the music it's yeah. like whereas mine is a, so I, I can see the the kind of conversely the differences between the two but they're also as intrinsically valuable yeah because if you if the thing that you're doing doesn't bring you purpose and we were saying this earlier if you don't look at your life your partner your friends your family your career and you're not absolutely you know engaged and feel alive every day when your feet hit the floor yeah and like th- thrilled for the day and i know it sounds He'd be like, oh, it's easy for you to say because of whatever. Everyone's always going to have that perspective. But it's easy for me to say because I engage in that every day. I make yeah. sure that what I'm doing serves me because we yeah. could all die tomorrow. Exactly, exactly. You Life's know? too short and uh, it's it's too short to be investing time in things that don't have fruition. Exactly. And for you, I this think. new album is you know a culmination of seven years. For, but, for me personally, I've, I've got no other real interests outside music. And I don't feel comfortable doing anything else. Nothing else makes sense to me, unless I'm unless I'm behind a drum kit on a stage trying to entertain somebody. Nothing else makes any sense to me. I don't. It's like I'm in a fog. If that kind of makes sense. That all roads lead back to drums. It does. It, yeah. I, I can't. I can't. I can't see my life panning out in any other way. It's the only thing that makes any logical sense to me. Is the, the whole package of doing a gig, travelling to a gig in a van and getting the gear out, setting up, sound check, doing the gig, doing it all in reverse at the end of the night, sleeping somewhere that isn't your bed in your home, that for me is like 
normal. It's all the other stuff that comes with it that, that isn't normal. Like coming back home and when I'm off tour and I'm not gigging, I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah. I, I can't put myself in any other environment and commit to it. I'm, I'm flaky in real life because the only thing that makes sense to me is doing a gig. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a weird So it's great when you're doing it, but then I suppose the, in a strange way, like with me and work, I do like 100 hours a week standard. I haven't got a day off now until the end of January. Mm. And, but, I, but most people go, oh my God, that's terrible. I'm like, no, 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 that gives me purpose. Because yeah. when it, my, my anxiety and my mental health will sort of flare up or will be uh, more abnormal mm. when, I'm, when I'm silent and doing nothing. So yeah. today I said to you, if I wasn't here hanging out doing this, you know, I could quite easily go, oh, yeah, I'll have a couple of beers or I'll do this and that. You start getting into that, that kind of absent-minded behavior. Yeah, Whereas I we have so. to be accountable all the time. And I think for me, it's like fitness, music, the podcast is a huge one. And the same thing when I'm not... When I don't have one of these, um, what's the right word? Like almost like a unique outlet. So music was always the thing for me, and this podcast or my interest in hockey or fitness. I always feel like if I'm doing something that I'm invested in, that's the, my unique thing. It's like what makes me me. Yeah. I, I never the idea of um, I, there was a lyric I wrote, and it was something to do with uh, mediocrity is like a noose around my neck. Yeah. To be mediocre to me, to be to be middle of the pack, to be a nine to fiver. Right, it's like he's almost. Su- it's like um, it's like suicide. It's like um, this suicide of self or something. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I've just completely that unique spark. And no disrespect to anybody that does that, by the way. I don't want it to sound like what's right for me. Some people, else. some people that that's their remit. That's their that's yeah, their and they enjoy thing. that. That's their that's their bracket that they're comfortable yeah. working with. Whereas to me, I'm allergic to that. I'm I'm, I'm the opposite of yeah. that. I'm exactly Same. the opposite to that. I almost I almost like make things difficult for myself. I think this is what. Do, do you know what I mean? Hundred percent. I, I, I make it. I make it obscure and difficult for myself, and as uncomfortable as possible. Because when you're on the road and you've got shit happening all the time, it is uncomfortable. It is unpredictable. You know, stuff happens out of the blue that you really don't expect. Do you think you thrive because of that? I, I do. I do. I think. I think it's that uncertainty, and I'm. You know, I've never had a right lot of money in the bank. I've never had a particularly good job that pays well. I'm always, always like skin, you know, hard for cash and all that kind of stuff. And I think if I'm completely honest, it's my own doing. I don't, I don't want to commit to a career in other areas because I wouldn't then want to leave it to do the thing that my head and my heart and my DNA is always telling me to do. And that's stay with the band and drive and gig. You know, feel like there's a feeling of like almost disloyalty if you were to go and do like a, a nine to five thing internally, you're like, no, 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 that's eight hours I can oh, put in okay. over here. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. definitely. That, that's not to say that 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 time I'm always committed to like Evile and working for Evile and, and putting every ounce of my energy into Evile. That's not the case at all. I am slack and I am lazy. And I think if I put as much time and effort into playing drums as I do procrastinating and worrying about stuff, then I might be up there with these, you know, amazing drummers like Pete Weber from Havoc and like, you know, we we're just talking about um, uh, George Clias, George Clias, and people like that. If if I had the, for me, I think a lot of it comes down to um, self belief, self worth, and um, productivity. I'm my own worst enemy, and I have been for a long, long time. And I think, yeah, I think. Personally speaking, I've got by all right with how little I do. All does most of the work in the band. You know, he, he's, he's the key songwriter. He arranges the structures and stuff like that. Um, 
and we just kind of carry it forward. But at the same time, I know when I'm on that stage and I'm behind the scenes and everything else, I pull my, I pull my weight and I put mm-hmm. the hours in and I graft. You know what I mean? And I, I challenge anyone to take that away from me. You know, I know how hard I work. Yeah. But I think if if I'd have had the mindset of and the money potentially to to work a bit harder behind the scenes for stuff and space, you know, you can't have two massive double kit drum kits set up in your house, can you? And and do it. You can't. You have to live within your means, and you've got to use the space you've got and all that kind of stuff. So I think. I think to a certain aspect, it's easier for guitarists to put the hours in sometimes than it is a drummer. But then, I'm, not, I'm, I'm making excuses for myself. I think, I think, I should have worked harder than I have done. I think we're all prone to that, though. I think what you find it's is a men- it's a mental place that you put yourself in, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and once you've seen, once you've achieved a certain amount, whether it's obviously you guys have achieved an incredible amount in such a, a working class way, and you've got to these massive stages, and because you've obviously maintained what you've done. Why would you put in more effort than you need to yeah, if you've already? Because yeah, would you've true. achieved success with what with the amount you've put in? Yeah. Why would you put more in? Yeah. I think I think as well though it's like that that nine to five thing. Like you said, you feel like you're betraying yourself when you you know you're in an environment you don't want to be in to mm-hmm. be in favour of an environment you do want to be in. Mm-hmm. But then complacency sets in when you have got that scope to do it. You True. Know? I mean, for me, for um, seven years, been working towards no goal, pretty much. Yeah, so what's your so, drive? So yeah, you, you, you lose focus. You, your brain gets clouded, you lose focus and you lose your motivation even though it is the thing that keeps you alive. It's it's, it's like atrophy. It's like yeah. mental atrophy in a way. You, you know you need to do it to sustain that thing that keeps you going but your body just goes, no, nah, not today. Yeah, not happening. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I think that I was talking about how money, uh, to my missus, how money changes people and even it's strange. I've, I, when I like our backgrounds are very similar. Even though I was born and raised in Birmingham, very working class, very humble beginnings. You know, yeah. like very supportive parents. Yeah. But we we were as working class as working class kids. Never wanted for out. Yeah. But yeah. we Same weren't aware of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We weren't yeah. aware of it. But it was just we were, you know, amazing. Raised by amazing parents, gave us everything we ever not ever wanted, ever needed. There's a difference, right? Yeah, of course. You know, there's always things we, we, oh, can I have that? And it just wasn't feasible, wasn't yeah, it? But not viable, yeah. Yeah, so. of course not. And so it took me until a few years ago to actually, you know, I always flitted around. I've lived in seven different countries because it was always easier for me. I've always been a nomad. Yeah. I've always been that. And this, again, it probably ties into how you are as well. Yeah. Whereas I feel better when I'm not at home. So, yeah, I'm from Birmingham. Um, I'm li- I live in Lincoln. I work mainly in North Yorkshire. And I very rarely... You know, sleep in my own bed. Now, yeah. yes, it's detrimental because I'd rather sleep next to my missus, but I love the feeling of freedom that I'm always living out of a backpack on my car, and it, it always makes me feel like I'm on the the cusp of something great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm not living a normal life. So if yeah. you speak to anybody, it's probably as close to. Uh, obviously, I used to tech for loads of bands and roadie after you know our band went as far as it was going to go, and after that, it was always hard because. As I've alluded to before, touring with you, well, sort of seeing you guys become what you were, I realised, wow, there's levels to this. You're like A level, we were like D, C at best. Now, there's nothing wrong with pushing it and having blind faith and belief, right? But I know my heart of hearts, we were as good as we were ever going to get. Like, we were, I was good at what I did because of the sheer amount of 18 hours a day I put in. I was no all, I was no Matt, I was no you, no Joel, no Mike, right? Where you had intrinsic ability, right? Whereas I, 
Don, the fact that you can not play for that long, have two weeks, and then in five days to record an album of that quality for a, a you know a, a record label, you have an intrinsic ability. You have a talent deep down. Whereas I never did. If I don't play, I lose it. Yeah, I get you. And once I lost that, um, once I realised that you know we were doing little tours with like bands like Wolf and Cauldron and stuff like that, Enforcer, you yeah. start to go, oh God, we're you know, we're working with Sharon Richardson and oh wow. And then I realized I was like, okay, I felt fraudulent. I was like, we're going to get to a level and we'll, we, we, we will be exposed or either I will be my lack of, 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 am I competent? Yes. Am I outstanding? No. Like, and that's, I'm not standing in anything I do. I just, I have a, a blind faith and a work ethic where I'll work harder and put more hours in than anyone. Yeah. But when you take that out and then you're not touring anymore, you're not, part of a unique environment. Like I'm no longer the roadie for the band where I can just travel in a van like yeah. I always loved like you did. So when I took that away, I was like, I'm just a regular Joe and I don't like it. So I have to, like with my yeah. job, I love to be away. I love to be able to just drive up here and then I'll drive back and I'm always under the radar and not, it's like the status quo is uh, withheld because I, I'm the one, I'm the keeper of it. I can make my little bubble yeah, as unique sense. as I want it yeah. to be. But to your end, I also keep it. I also disrupt my own life. I always get in my own way. I have but to make things me, hard for myself sometimes to keep it challenging. You yeah, know? of course. Yeah, to keep it entertaining for yourself. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it's boring. Because if yeah, you've mastered your own area, what I do think, you do then? I think for me, um, going back to like coming away from a tour or coming back from gigs and stuff, I always feel like a, a bit like a fish out of water in a, a regular environment. I don't really know what to do with myself. Socially awkward, maybe. That you don't fit in. I don't fit in, but I feel, always feel like I should be somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Like doing something else. Um, I, I, I don't do well in a closed environment like just sitting around in my front room watching TV. Fair enough, I can stick a computer game on and you know zone out for a few hours and stuff. But that feeling of, of always wanting to be somewhere else comes back at some point and during COVID especially, that feeling of being penned in and everything is just, it's just heightened. Yeah, when you've had the choice taken away from you. Yeah. Yeah, that it's the outlet being removed that frustrates me. Um, going back to going back to like the mental health side of stuff, I do remember like going out on tour and knowing that was happening for so long, and you can plan for that. It's what to do when you come off tour, where you don't know what you're doing. That's the scary, difficult part. Um, you have as many like little stupid part-time jobs as you want, and everything, and nothing fulfills you. You don't wake up in the morning feeling that anything's fulfilled and you're looking for that next outlet it's almost like being addicted to drugs in a way you're looking for your next fix all the time so the band goes into a hiatus for seven years there's, there's a couple of gigs a spattering of gigs here there and everywhere and not much not to the same level you were at yeah not to sustain there's, there's not a sustained run and then so that's taken away from you and then covid comes in so you, you know you're not allowed to rehearse you're not allowed to do this you don't have an outlet for stuff and it just builds like a pressure and I read, I read this article a few years back now, and it was about the like yo-yo lifestyle and the mental cycle of people that go on tour and musicians that come away on tour and come back, and they experience such a massive high when you're out doing that job day in day out and entertaining people. You have to have an equivalent low when you come off tour, mm -hmm. and the the highs and the lows that musicians experience in relation to people's everyday nine to five high and low. It, it's it's off the chart. Mm -hmm. You you feel that complicated within yourself when you're off tour and not gigging and you don't have an outlet. It it it's an it's a different depth of 
like self worry and self doubt and you know, so like there's two different versions of it. It's Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's the tour band and there's the off tour band. Oh bend. yeah, yeah. I know, I know when I don't have an outlet for gigs and I don't have an outlet for music, um I'm a nasty person to be around. I yeah. I'm I'm short tempered, I'm confused, I'm irrational, I'm I don't know what the word is. I'm just a mess. It's so strange you say that because I actually the, the, think the, I'm the, the same most way. real version of me is when I'm out and I'm doing a gig and mm. I'm behind a drum kit. That's me, like in my element. That's me in my like literal pure form right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everything else is just a weird, confused, odd version of me where I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just muddling through. It's crazy you say that because I think that. There are times where, like, my missus pulled me up on it the other day, and what I tend to do, if, if say, if, say, if you pick at me for something, and I'm like, I'm, I'm don't wrong, I can take criticism all day long, but if you pick at me for something, and I'll go, all right, and a couple of minutes later, you do it again, or, or rather, not pick at me, point something out if I've done wrong, and then the third time, you'll be about to say I've done something else wrong, but I'm aware, but the third time, all right, that season, right? So, say, if I sped down one row, and you're like, dude, you're speeding, I was like, oh, slow down, and then I did it again, and then on the third one, you were like, dude, and I'm like, no, no, I've just set my speed. I wasn't, right? By which point, my brain will just... Compl- this is when I'm not exercising, I'm not being musical, I'm not doing the podcast. My brain, that cynicism, that inner like uh, turmoil that I feel will play against me. It'll be like, oh, you're doing this wrong, Doug, and, and, and that, and, and oh, she's going to think this. All of that does not occur when I train most days because we're both massively into fitness. When I'm musical, when I'm doing the podcast, it gives me a whole... When I've got something to focus on, a creative... Um, Endeavor out there yeah. is a different me. It's a me that I recognise and I like. Exactly. Whereas conversely, yeah. on the opposite side, like you just alluded to, then I know I've I've seen myself do it where I'm snide and I'm nasty and I'm irritable and I'm like, what? Like for no reason? Like what's the matter? Literally nothing. There's no actual. There's no nothing you've said or done or anyone's you know uh, acted in a, an odd way to me. But if I don't have the outlet, yeah, everything feels um, incomplete. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's like, like, like the, insignificant almost. Yeah, yeah. Like why am I, you know, all right, and I'm washing up the, you know, oh, well, I'm washing the plates. Okay, what, what's significant? Well, if I wash them now or I could wash them in an hour, mm, that's my biggest decision when you're on the road. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, loading's at two. Oh, yeah. I, I can't wait. And then I'm going to see all the guys in the sport band that we've been on the road with for the last week. I'm still getting to know them. So that's fascinating because they're from Sweden. Yeah. And these are people, that yeah. whole brotherhood and I think the camaraderie as well. Yeah, I think so. You, so. you all understand because you're all in the same boat and you're all cut from the same cloth. Yeah. It's like one big army, right? It is, yeah. It yeah. is, yeah. It's amazing how many people like with a, a similar mindset. I, I think it's hereditary. I think I get it from my dad because I know for a fact when my dad couldn't gig like you know a few years back and whatever, he he was the same. I saw it change like his demeanor and how he was. He'd be, he'd be the same. He'd be irritable and short-tempered and it wouldn't be for a reason. It wouldn't be anything that me or my sister had done wrong as kids. It wouldn't be anything, you know, an argument between him and my mum or anything like that. It purely because he was missing what going away and having a gig did for him mentally. Does that not just, again, highlight the importance of the art? I think it does. I think creative. it massively does. And, I, I, you know, as much as people can throw around multi-million pound support packages and things like that, I think there's... You know, you, you keep saying about training and you hear it banded around in, you know, events and stuff like that. There's levels to things. I think there's levels to the music industry and I think that money has to be in the right place for it to make a, make a, a difference. Yeah. You know, um, it's all right supporting big venues and things like that, but grassroots venues where 
people learn the craft and hone the craft and they're the key places that need to stay open I think well you wouldn't you have know? you wouldn't have got to the you know the level of US tours and opening for Megadeth if you hadn't have had the parish exactly or, or um, god where else um, Snooty Fox Snooty Fox in Wakefield or that's places uh, Junction ma- 7 in Nottingham or Fox all these places you used to hit on a regular basis and love Snooty Fox you know, such a good venue well it was it's not there now is it not now it got demolished and all kinds of shit went on with it oh wow uh, which is really sad really um yeah, but the, you know the this whole thing of COVID ruining people's livelihoods and everything. It, it, I think it it has bigger mental and mm-hmm. um, cerebral connotations. You know, it does a lot. It does a lot for people being able to have a little taste of what does them good. A little bit of what you do, what you like, does you good. That whole scene. Yep. Yeah. Um, take course. that away at the most basic level for people and they're just stewing their own heads and of course what, then, what, what, then what happens at, you look at alcoholism drug addiction um, domestic violence there's spikes of those things exactly not yeah. obviously because people are forced together people don't have an outlet obviously the domestic violence thing is a different issue but alcoholism and drug addiction you ask anybody that you know myself included did you not drink more during the first lockdown? Certainly. Yeah, I did more. You know, I was stuck in a, a self-medicated cycle that thankfully I'm out of now. But it's because I couldn't, for me, being on the ice, playing hockey, skating, yeah, uh, working out, having a goal, seeing, you know, traveling is huge to me. I was in, I was in Toronto when it all got announced. Exactly. I had to come back, and that freedom of just, you know, I always feel like a bit of um, I like to think of it, I'm quite a unique person in the way I think about things. I'm probably not because again, we're we're now correlating the fact that we think very similar yeah. so there's obviously if there's you and I that means there's probably millions of people that need that um, that outlet that don't have it so now uh, the only the only positive I can say hopefully from all of this is that it's made everyone internalise things more and really look at themselves I think and say what is it I need what is it I want so I when you so. come back out as you said it's going to flourish right in a I way think, that I it never has so. I hope so I hope, I hope things that people want and need to do and um, that, that drive and ambition I hope it does spark stuff in people because, you know, we're only here once and, you know, you've got to, you've got to focus on doing what you love. Well, to that end, as soon as you, as soon as you you take that away from someone, people, you know, they suffer. So, um, freedoms and liberties and things like that aside, you know, having that passionate creative outlet is so important for people, I think. Well, uh, I couldn't agree more. And to that end, obviously the new Evil album is going to be out next year, which I think is going to be, you know, massive it's 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 especially in the metal community we're all clamoring for you know it's easy to think or oh, maybe the the market or the world will be oversaturated with everybody you know sort of stockpiling yeah. music yeah but you know um the this the tiny part you know bits that i've been privy to you know this new stuff is i just a monster, I just hope, a monster. <laughs> i just hope that we haven't got a, a guns and roses chinese democracy kind of situation on our hands whereby we've been out of the loop that long we're going to release it and everyone's just going to go, oh, what's this? <laughs> oh, that's it. Is that all? Is that the, when, uh, what was it when uh, Celtic Frost did that? Was it some, oh, was it called something Lake? Crystal Lake, I think it was called. And it was when they went, went all glam rock. And everyone was like, what you, yeah. what you do? Yeah. But no, we have to know it's not glam rock. <laughs> it's about as far the other way. But no, I think the speaking from a, a fan perspective, obviously, a little bit that I've been privy to hear, it's, smoking man it's thank heavy you. as fuck no, thank it. you and obviously I'm happy for you guys I'm proud of you guys that you've you've, you've stayed the course when yeah. so many people as you've said 
bands have bands have formed have broken up in the time that you've been on hiatus. Yeah, I know. And now you've Scary. come back with an absolute monster. Well, thanks, dude. You know, so so thank you, and you know, let's um, let's keep an eye and an ear to the ground because obviously in the next couple of months, yeah, there's announcements coming up over the next couple of months. Album title, so, album art, uh, singles. Yeah, things will start snowballing and uh, getting a little bit bigger and get the ball rolling again and see where we are in six months, I guess. Well, perfect. So uh, this um, this has been Ben Carter from Evil. Cheers, everyone. Thank you for listening. And thank you very much for listening. And uh, keep an ear out for Evil 5, title to be confirmed soon. Thank you very much, guys.